You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The scripture reading this morning is Exodus chapter 19, the verses 1 through 9. Exodus 19 comes just before the Lord gives his law at Mount Sinai. So that's the context. It's also the context for the text this morning, which is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And there you'll hear Peter quote the words that Moses uses, that the Lord uses to describe Israel when he constitutes Israel as his own people. So we'll read Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried out on, or how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the people what the people, or then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 2, the verses 9 and 10, but we'll read, um, Chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, just to give us some more context for our text this morning. So, First Peter 2, beginning at verse 4, keeping in mind that the text is verses 9 and 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, many of us have perhaps witnessed an identity crisis. 
And usually when we think of an identity crisis, we imagine a middle-aged man who bought a sports car. But middle-aged men aren't the only people who go through identity crises. A teenager, for example, might have an identity crisis after high school because he or she wonders what to do next. They might ask, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What should I do next? And they don't know. And so this kind of an identity crisis probably takes the form of a, an overseas trip, maybe to Europe or to Australia, where they, where they go and try to find themselves, discover who they are, what they ought to do with their life. And just like people go through identity crises, so do countries, nations uh, go through the same process. For example, what's a Canadian And we debate long and hard about what it means to be Canadian. And if you told someone on the street what your idea of a Canadian is, you'd probably offend that person because it doesn't quite fit with what he thinks of himself. And so just like people and countries can go through identity crises, so also can churches. A church might ask itself, why are we here? What's our purpose? How did we get here? How did it come about that this group of people here gathers together on Sunday mornings? And many churches launch surveys, they launch programs, they try to understand their goals and their purpose as God's people in the world. Well, how will we discover our purpose as God's people here in Langley, B.C.? Well, to answer that question, we might look at 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter addresses the church about their identity and teaches them about their identity and commands them according to their identity. And when he does, he tells them why they're here, what their purpose is. And so we can read his instruction as an instruction for us, direction for us in our lives as God's people here today in this world today. And so the theme of the sermon this morning is, you are God's people so that you may declare God's praises. And we'll see firstly, God, your God-given identity, and secondly, your God-given declaration. So first, your God-given identity. Well, what kind of identity uh, crisis could we possibly have in this church? Peter has, throughout his letter, if you read throughout his letter, has described the church with different terms. He's called the church God's elect. He's called called us children of God. He's called us strangers in the world. Yet we have to come to grips with our identity. We have to adjust to the realization that we are different from those who are not God's people. And that's part of Peter's purpose in writing this letter. And so in part, he's describing for us what we're not. He's done that in the letter. We're not what the world is, he says. And so don't simply... So we. So then the question is, when we read about what we're not, is that how we understand who we are? Do we simply define ourselves by being opposite of what everyone else is doing? There's a tendency to do that, isn't there? We just look into the world and say, well, if we're different from these people, just look at what they're doing and swim in the opposite direction. 
But if we do that, we let the world decide who we are. We let the world define us. And we let the world determine for us what our purpose is. It's true that we're different from our unbelieving neighbors, but is that why we're different? Is that how we're different? Is that how we get our identity? Once we wake up to this new reality of God's people in the world, of of being a Christian yourself, how do you find yourself? Just like a, a teenager might need to find himself. How do you find yourself? And how do you define yourself in positive terms? Who are you? What's a positive definition of your identity and your purpose? Well, we don't have to buy flashy sports cars and we don't have to even, we don't even have to travel to Europe in order to find ourselves. The way we find ourselves here is by looking into the Bible and by understanding God's word to us about who we are and why we're here. And that's how chapter 2 verse 9 begins begins with this contrast, first of all, between the builders, between what the builders are making and between what God is building. And so Peter's argument comes out of this fact that the Jewish people had been building a nation together, a nation of God's people. But when the chief cornerstone came, they rejected him. And so their building fell apart. It fell to pieces. They didn't recognize that Jesus Christ was the foundation of the building that God was putting together. And that's why their building fell apart. But Peter isn't talking only to Jews. He's talking to Gentiles in this letter. He's addressing the Gentiles in this letter. And he's talking to them about how They are living in a house that God is building. He wants them to realize it. He wants them to realize that they're part of a, of a project that God is working on. And so Peter wrote to the Christians in the, in the, in a Greco-Roman culture where citizens and rulers had been building up this city, this province according to their own values and their own traditions. He wrote to those provinces in Asia Minor. And these provinces had their own institutions, their own governors, their own laws, their own traditions, their own philosophers, their own philosophy. And the decisions that were made were made according to these institutions and these philosophies made in the Senate or wherever else. And so this process was being built up to create a society and a way of life and a way of worship in this Roman culture. That's where they came from. That's what they had before they became Christians. And through that process, they came to understand and to learn what it meant to be good, what it meant to do good what they ought to do. They learned why they were here, what they were supposed to do through that process in the cities they lived in. And we have that same thing here in our own Canadian culture. We have an identity as Canadians. We have our heroes, our national heroes, 
our national role models. We have our own institutions, our own customs, our own values. And all of these things are used in Canadian culture and society to build up a way of life for the people who live here. But when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord, Peter is saying you have been called out of that house. You don't live in that house anymore. You live in a different house. You live in a house that God is building and constructing with its own institutions, its own values, its own customs. And so you're different if you're a Christian. You're different from the world around you. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You come to Him when He calls you. You come to Him in faith. And this is, this is where you begin to take on a new identity. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that God has begun something new and different in the world and that you're part of it. So you need to, you need to maintain that difference, difference as God's people in this country, in this world, in this society. But how do you do it? Is it just about going and doing the opposite of what everyone else is doing? Well, Peter says, no, it's not like that at all. He gives us this positive statement of who we are. He gives us a positive statement of our identity. We're different, he says, because of what God is doing among us. Because of what God is building up. Because of what God is creating us into. So then what's his answer? Who are you? Well, he says, if you have come to Jesus Christ, you are a chosen people. And you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people that belongs to God. And Peter, we've seen from our reading, has taken these terms from the Old Testament. Descriptions of Israel when God formed them into a people. And so he's using language that comes from when God constituted his people, created them into a people, and began giving them their institutions and their laws and their leaders. Peter uses that terminology again to describe the church because he's telling us that God is doing that. He's building up a people for himself. So who are you? First of all, you're a chosen people. Have you ever gone somewhere where you felt like you didn't belong? I can think of one example. If you join a soccer team, you you might think it's in, in a, just an intramural thing. Nobody's going to be that good. It's not going to be competitive. And so you dare to go. You dare to join the team. Except when you get there, you realize that most of the people playing in this league also belong to another league, and they're really good. And they're calling plays that you've never heard before. They're doing things you can't do. You can't keep up with them. And you realize that you don't belong on this team. What do you do in that situation? You probably just quit. It's not that big of a deal. You just find a different team. 
But Peter says, when you belong to this community, it doesn't matter if you can't quite keep up with everyone. It doesn't matter if you don't quite understand what's happening. None of that matters. What matters is that you're here because God chose you to be here. That's your claim. And that's your reason for coming. And that's your reason for joining this group. And so if someone asks you, what are you doing here? Your answer is simply, God brought me here. And that's good enough. And so the this language of being a chosen people is really a comfort to us. It's our, our assurance. We're, we belong to God's people because He chose us. And so the, so Peter is using this language of being God's possession like that from Exodus. And then he goes on to the next term, holy nation, kingdom of priests. And Israel got this identity, he says, from God's purpose for them. And so Moses, or, and so God tells Moses that all the nations on the earth are mine. But then he takes Israel for his own, his own special people. And that's what these terms are meant to describe for us. Holy nation, kingdom of priests. It means that all the nations on the earth were God's. He brought them all into being, but God chose this one nation to be his own. Just like he chose the Levites to be his own um, and dedicated them to work in the temple. So also, God chose the whole nation of Israel to be His own people to worship Him and to praise Him. And so that's where this terminology is coming from. And so Peter is saying, you have been chosen as God's people, dedicated to Him to live for Him and to worship Him out of all the other peoples of the earth. And now Peter takes these terms, he uses them on you. If you did come to Jesus Christ, if you do hear God when He calls you, then you have been built up into this new nation-building project, this new people of God. God is building all of us Christians into a new nation. He's giving us life. He's giving us culture. He's giving us institutions, teachers, leaders. He's building us up into a special people belonging to God so that we serve God in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, His Son. And we all together as God's people are a new kingdom. A new kingdom, a new city being built up right here in the middle of Langley. And we form a distinct society here. A distinct society of God's people among all the other people who live here. And so we don't have to simply understand our identity in negative terms. We have a positive expression of who we are and what we do. We can make a positive statement about our our identity based on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We find ourselves in the Bible... We're strangers here, but we have a specific identity. Our identity as a people is is defined and described for us in the Bible. That's our guide. Not what the world says. Not what you or I individually think about who we are. 
not what anyone else says. We don't define ourselves based on what's comfortable to us or what's exciting to us personally. We get involved in what God is doing here in Langley among you all today. That's how you come to understand who you are. Well, that's the first point. The second point is, now that you know who you are, or if that's how you discover who you are, how do you go from that discovery to what you actually do? What's your purpose? What are you here for? Why is God building you up into this people? What does he want from you? Peter tells us again what the Lord wants from us. He says, God is building you up into this people so that you may declare his praises. That's your purpose. And so your God-given declaration comes out of, flows out of your God-given identity. Well, then the next question is, if our identity is given to us by God, what does he want us to say? What does it involve? Who do we talk to? Well, when Peter says to declare God's praises, he's using another term that's well known to the early Christians. If we get behind this context, we see what what he's really talking about and what these first readers heard him say. The phrase was well known in the first century, especially among the Greek readers, the Greek listeners, because they knew about the the, the pagan temples, the lists that, that would be written out there describing the virtues of their God. And these lists in pagan culture were meant to convince people to worship this God. And so they had sometimes thousands of gods that they could that they could worship and depend on and so the worshipers would try to convince the people why they should worship this specific god and there you would get the list so i am isis one god would would write or one of the prophets would write i created this world i i made you i formed you and i make the crops grow So good reasons why you should worship this God. And that was a virtue list, they called that. And that's how they would declare the praises. And that's what, what Peter, that's what the first readers would understand from what Peter is, is describing. And so it's a phrase they knew from their Greek context. It's also a phrase they knew from their Jewish context, from reading the Old Testament. Because when they turn to Isaiah chapter 43 in their Old Testament, in their Bibles, they would read about what God did to redeem Israel from slavery. When he, when he redeemed them from Egypt. And they would read about all the power that God used, expended for them to care for his own people, his chosen nation. And there they would read about how God said to Israel, The wild animals honor me. The jackals and the owls, because I provide water for them in the desert. And streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. 
And he says, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. And so in Isaiah, when the Israelites proclaim God's praises, they declare his virtues. They declare what he did. He, he delivered them from slavery and then he led them through the desert and he fed them even though there was no food. He gave them water and he gave them food. He provided for them when they, when it was impossible for them to provide for themselves. It must have been God doing it. There was no other way that they could have received food in the desert. And so this list in Isaiah is also a virtue list. It's a list of why Israel ought to praise God. And God expected that his own holy nation, that he formed with his own hands, would declare his praises in worship. And when they prayed and brought sacrifices in the temple, in Isaiah 43, verse 22, God says, Why haven't you prayed? Why haven't you offered sacrifices? But God expected that they would declare His praises to each other. He said, One day you will say, I'm the Lord's, and and they will declare to the nations that the Lord is their God and all that He's done. Well, they aren't doing it now, He says, but one day you will. That's your purpose. That's what I'm doing among you. One day, you're going to tell each other about God's praiseworthy deeds of salvation. And you're also going to tell the other nations about me. And so in Isaiah 43, we get the the picture that God wants us to declare His praises to Him in praise and in prayer and in worship. But He also wants us to tell each other what God has done for me. Why am I here? Why am I a Christian? How has God delivered me from sin? How has God uh, administered to me and cared for me? How has God been my Father and my Redeemer? How has God been my Sanctifier? How does He guide me and protect me? He wants us to tell each other about God's praises. And what does Peter say we should declare Well, it's true, it's not always easy to figure out what to say. What should we talk about when we declare God's praises? Well, Peter gives us a good start. He says, declare the praises of the one who brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And it would be good to tell people how that happened. When you do declare, when you do that, you'll declare God's power to save His people. You'll be showing people why God is worthy of praise. How much do you think about what happened? How much do you think about what God had to do in order to make you a Christian person today? How many of us know about the darkness that's around us today. Do you know what God saved you from? Isaiah describes the darkness in gruesome detail. Isaiah 59, he says, So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. 
Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our, our way like men without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the weak, or we are like the dead. And here's Isaiah describing what, what it's like to live without God in this world, without the light of the gospel in this world. It's like living, it's like living like a zombie, where you never find justice, you never find righteousness. All you ever find is lies and oppression. It's not really life. It's death. It's a living death. Yet God reveals to us that His salvation is a light in the darkness. John 1 verse 3 through 5 says that Jesus Christ is the light that shines in that darkness. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot grasp it, cannot overcome the darkness, or cannot overcome the light. And God has called you, Peter says, God has called you into that light. That's where you live now. And he says that light is a wonderful light. In it we find truth instead of, instead of lies. In that light we find justice and righteousness instead of oppression and instead of sinfulness. In this light there is restoration and renewal instead of death and decay. When we declare God's praises, we talk about the God who made us His own people. How did you get your identity? How did you get here in this light? It's because God called you in His mercy. I didn't know I was in darkness, yet God came to me with His light. I often don't notice the darkness around me, yet God reveals His righteousness to me. And so when you declare God's praises and why you're here and what you're doing here, you say, once I was not part of God's people, but now I am because of His mercy. And so when you describe yourself to the people around you and to your neighbors, it's always about declaring God's glory, what He did for you. And Peter uses Hosea chapter 2 to make his point. He's quoting it loosely. But he says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those are Hosea's words. And it's an original, in its original context, Hosea spoke those words to Israel, to God's people, after they had rejected him, after they had become an unfaithful wife to God. They forgot that God made them who they were. They forgot that God had built them up into this people. And so God announces judgment on them. He says, you're not my people anymore because you turned your back on me. But he always gives them this light of hope because he says, it's true that I'm sending you away into exile. I want you out of my sight because of your unfaithfulness, but I'm going to bring you back. And Peter uses this text to describe God's mercy 
to His own people. The way God sent them away but brought them back again. They did nothing to deserve it. They always rejected God. Even though after everything He's done for them, yet He still keeps bringing them back. And Peter uses this text to describe how God brings people to Himself. And so this prophecy is fulfilled for Jews who have redemption in Jesus Christ, but also for Gentiles who come to Jesus Christ. People who never knew God, who never knew about the old covenant, people who never knew who this God was, people even who were hostile towards the old covenant and towards the Jewish people. These people God has brought to Himself in His mercy. And so the point is that God made you a member of His holy nation and of this royal priesthood through redemption. He redeemed you. He made you His people. And He brought you here. And our purpose as God's people is to talk about it. Tell people how you got here. Talk about God's mercy in your own life to each other and to your neighbors. When we declare His virtues and His praises, His glory, we do it in our preaching. We do it in our Bible studies. We remind each other in conversation. We encourage each other with God's praises when we remind each other and talk about with each other what God did when He sent His Son the light of the world to redeem us and to bring us into that light. Make God's mercies known. Make God's greatness known to each other. And then whatever we say or do will always be to His glory. And so our, our evangelism is also about God too. When we evangelize to our neighbors, we tell unbelievers what God has done in this world. We talk about the light. We shine that light in the darkness. Show your neighbors why He is worthy of their praise too. Declare His power, His mercy, His love to the people around you with your words, but with your way of life too. So is there an identity crisis in our church? Do we know who we are? Do we know why we're here? Do we know our purpose? We all need to find out what God is doing among us and ask Him what He wants us to do. Realize that we were formed into God's people so that we might declare His praises. And when we do, we will be built up as God's people. God will be glorified. Search yourself. Search, search the scriptures and find yourself there. Find yourself in God's wonderful light and tell everyone about it. That's who you are and that's what you're here for. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.